Hello everyone, this is Jared Albrecht, the Yard Sale Artist, welcoming you to a Long Box Crusade Elseworlds episode. a long box crusade elseworlds you might ask well some of your favorite long box crusade members have done some work over on some other podcast networks that you may or may not be familiar with so from time to time we will grab a show from the past that one or all of us has done on one of those other networks and we'll play it for you here whether it's a james bond rookie agent show from on her majesty's secret podcast network or a comics with normies from white rocket entertainment network or some other bit of alternate dimension craziness, we hope that you enjoy this presentation of Longbox Crusade Elseworlds. Hey, this is Raymond Benson, and you're listening to On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast, brought to you by our fine Patreon sponsors and White Rocket Entertainment. I'm your host for this program, Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist, a.k.a. Death Probe. And joining me as a veteran Bondophile co-host is my brother, Jason the Weasel Skull Albrecht. Jason, what is the most Bond-like thing you have done since last episode recording, which was some time ago? Well, as we're going into the Christmas season, Jared, I've been helping my dear wife, Julie, set up, tear down, and transport to various Christmas art shows. I call it Operation Ball Breaker, and I'm <laughs> waiting for these drugs from Q Branch to kick in because I am in a lot of pain. How are you, Jared? <laughs> It could. So you're like Q going out in the field to build Little Nelly and then tear Little Nelly back down again and then go rebuild Little Nelly in another location. <laughs> yes, it's bad on the back, it's bad on the arms, it's bad on the knees. His back is like, whoa, Nelly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Julie's all like, whoa, yeah, extend you. your arms. <laughs> Good. <clears throat> Ask me what I... Oh, yeah. What you been doing, Jared? I did some very Bond-like things just last week. Uh, Our family took a little vacation to the Bahamas for Thanksgiving. So I went and scouted out some James Bond film locations. I stopped by the hotel where James Bond stayed in Never Say Never Again. And I made my way out to see the little shark pool at Largo's, uh, was it Palmyra? In real life, it's called 
Rock Point, I do believe. But I got out to that little villa and got to see that. So I did a little James Bond location film scouting. So that was fun. So what did you think? Were they pretty cool, overwhelming, underwhelming? What was your assessment? It was cool to be there. The Shark Tank place, the Rock Point, hasn't really been kept up. I've heard a rumor that the guy who bought it is privately owned. So it's real hard to get a good look at it now because of people like me. (laughs) Stop by and bother this poor guy. I heard a rumor that the guy who bought it isn't like a big Bond guy or anything, so he just doesn't really care, which is a little bit sad, but whatever. You would think he'd make some money off of it or something, you, you know? Yeah, I would think there'd be money to be made. Build a little side entrance there, just go yeah. to the little pool area, come get your picture taken here, 20 bucks, something like that, you know? That extra money will let you go through the tunnel and see That's if you right. can make it through. See if you can make it through. <laughs> Sounds like maybe we should have a little uh, James Bond Club investment here. Your Patreon dollars at work, people. We can make something happen. <laughs> Yeah, and then the hotel that he stayed at in Never Say Never Again, it's been completely refurbished since 1980. was at three, I think. Yeah, because they blew up his room. I think they had to have some <laughs> sure they blew up his room. It's been completely refurbished. It's a really nice hotel. I think it's a, it might be a Hilton property, but it's very nice. So, yeah, I did those two things, and I saw the spot where he sees Fatima Blush doing the water skiing. Uh, that's all <laughs> kind of part of the uh, Hilton property, though. you got to kind of go through their property to go back there to see it. And that little cabana i don't think that little cabana is even there anymore so i could see it from where i was swimming on the beach and i thought that was neat so let's find out what our rookie agents have been up to but this is the 12th episode of our ongoing series on this channel called mi6 rookie agents rookie agents jason and i are taking our two friends and i think you've heard them here in the intro from our lives who are not familiar with the 007 universe and we're taking them through the entire series of films one movie at a time we're going to get that newcomer's point of view on the film series that we love so much here at honor majesty's secret podcast so let's welcome our rookie agents to the show welcome back to the show Pat, DJ appropriately <laughs> named Christanos. Yes. Welcome back. What Bond stuff have you been doing? Here at the Christanos Studios, I have gotten things kind of set up around me. A little command center now. I have redid my computer so I don't have Skype problems anymore. So you know how that goes. Yeah, we all do. Uh, so I added a little extra monitor. So I got a little, uh, little command center going on here for the shows that we do here. And you have like an identigraph? Can I describe someone to you? <laughs> well, yeah, you can. I, and I will put that in and then perhaps maybe we can have a couple coffees delivered to us. <laughs> okay. Or is it more like Blofeld's wheelchair? Yeah. Well, the only thing I don't have ready yet is the red light that goes on when we do it. Oh, okay. So well, I get that for that. Okay. We've got to have that red light. <laughs> you don't have to work <laughs> Oh, Let me just save us by moving on, checking in on Delvin the Dark Web, Felix Lighter, Silver Hands, Williams himself. Welcome back to the show. What kind of Bond stuff you've been doing, my man? Good to be back, of course. I should say my hellos to everyone. Hello. 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 Hi. Hey there. I, working with my tax guy, I set up an actual corporation and I called it Dark Silver. May or may not have something to do with uh, Bond stuff. So I'm, I'm official. Like if I start becoming more megalomaniacal mm. and um, <laughs> like distant and start talking about stuff about taking over the world you know where it started <laughs> noted <laughs> i like it i do too oh goodness as you guys know as everybody who listens to the show knows we like to joke around here but we're gonna switch the switch over to serious for a minute we got a letter since we did our last moonraker episode and i'd just like to go ahead and read this letter it's from a listener named mark rowlands and mark writes to agents rookie and veteran i'm just writing to say how much i'm enjoying your show it may seem like a cheap attempt to garner sympathy but i promise you it is not my father died in June of this year, 2018. Movies were something that he and I enjoyed together, from war films, westerns, and fittingly, James Bond. He was a big fan of Bond, always looking forward to watching which 
whichever movies had been chosen for the Christmas broadcast by the TV channels here in the UK. Those that I can clearly remember watching with him were Thunderball, You Only Live Twice, Live and Let Die, Moonraker, and Living Daylights. But listening to your discussions, it makes me realize that I have seen many more. Most when I was very young, so only glimmers of the memory exist. But I'll always cherish those memories now. My dad was always proud of his two little connections to Bond. His service in the Royal Air Force meant he became friends with one of the frogmen from Thunderball. I couldn't tell you which one, I'm afraid. And in the later Brazen era, where Bond collects the BMW from Q and Tomorrow Never Dies, that is the hangar my dad worked as an avionics engineer at Stansted Airport near London. So again, thank you for letting me rediscover old good memories with my dad. Signed, Mark Rowlands. Wow. I might might have lost for words. Yeah. Really appreciate you sharing with us that we can provide a smile to your face and and bring up good memories. Yeah. I think a lot of us had connections to our dads and how they brought us into the world of James Bond. And really sorry to hear about your your father passing, Mark. But we're glad that the show gives you some opportunity to relive some good memories with your dad. We really appreciate you sharing with us. I think one of the, just besides just doing the show itself, one of the crazy things is you do the show and Pat and Jared put it together and stuff and you send it out into the ether and and then sometimes something comes back to you like this and it's like, wow, okay. It's nice to know that you're providing something that's that was decent to somebody else in the world. That's a very cool thing and it's awesome that Mark is able to reconnect with his dad through that. So that's something that absolutely took me by surprise and it was a pleasant surprise in just the best way possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, Mark, we're super, super appreciative you sent that in. It's good to know that our silliness, our hijinks, and our tomfoolery can kind of help people along in some way. You know, everything you do matters, people. Everything you do matters. So, Mark, we are definitely dedicating this episode of Rookie Agents to you and your dad and the memories that you have. So, Cheers, mate. We'll try to do an extra good job for you, but knowing about <laughs> the level of quality we have, yeah. Um, <laughs> Easy there. <laughs> just give us a break, buddy. All right? <laughs> but You're doing our best, man. We're doing our best. <laughs> we want to under-promise and over-deliver, not, not, the, <laughs> okay. not the other way around. Well, we'll do our best, Mark. We'll do our best. We're planning on releasing this show monthly as a companion to the show that Van Allen Plexico and Alan Porter are doing, and they're currently doing one 007 film per month as we build towards the release date of Bond 25, which is supposed to come out on February 14th, 2020. So we're just basically going through the series right along with Van and Allen, except we're getting a look from the eyes of our newcomers. So if you want a more in-depth and academic look into the film series complete with the host that has an actual British accent, definitely stay tuned to and subscribe to this channel on Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. We do a lot of other fun stuff and spinoff series as well. We do some James Bond celebrity interviews, World Cup of Bond films, anything else 007 that pops into our heads. Basically, this channel is 360 degrees of Bond. So let's get to today's film for your eyes only. But before we get to our mission brief from Agent Jason, he's going to jump right into the action with no parachute do not disappoint Mark Rollins or his father, Jason, in a segment called... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so unfair. In a segment called, What Makes You Say That? I'm now aiming precisely at your groin. So speak or forever hold your peace. You have to redeem yourself from the last time. Don't bring that up, man. It's like a closer. I can't think about the last one. I just got to go in and (laughs) do my best. Oh, I probably should explain how this works. I give Jason a quote from this Bond movie for your eyes only, and Jason tells me the line that came before it. That's how what makes you say that works. So I'm going to give Jason a line, and he's going to tell me what line came before it in this film. So here we go. First line, Jason. All right. 
I'll do my best, sir. 007. Try not to muck it up again. Bing, bang, boom. Right out of the gate. Good job. Good, job. Good one, Jason. Good one. Oh, we got a good one. Proud. Good one. Proud. Can't get cocky, though. Got all one right. more to get through. One more to go. An old smuggler's trick. Christados knows them all. That I do. An old smuggler's trick. An old smuggler's trick. Christados knows them all. Raw opium. <laughs> yes, raw opium is correct. Wow. The redemption. All I Ooh. am. I am. <laughs> <laughs> this is my movie right here. This is probably the only one I like more than Thunderball. Oh, here we go. Low rating coming. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, it did have a water sequence in it. <laughs> I know. And Delva's like, I don't remember that scene. What scene came before that mountain scene? <laughs> oh, no, I'm, 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 wait, what scene did come from? <laughs> it was the boat scene, Delvin. It was the boat scene. <laughs> that lies. Oh, lies. Hovercraft scene. <laughs> well, Jason, you did an amazing job. How about you do this? How about you give us our quick mission brief on For Your Eyes Only? Well, we'll do. For your eyes only. It's Roger Moore as Ian Fleming's James Bond 007. Five days ago, our spy ship was sunk in the Ionian Sea. She was equipped with ATAC. Have we begun a salvage operation? We asked Sir Timothy Havelock to secretly locate the wreck. He and his wife were killed by Hector Gonzalez. Police were able to identify Gonzalez by Melina, Sir Havelock's daughter. Explosive. Exclusive. Oh, I trust you, Helicon. For your amazement, this bond is for you. By the way, we haven't been properly introduced, Melina. My name is Bond, James Bond. Mr. Bond, you have shot your last bolt. We're not dead yet. This bond is for your eyes only. No one comes close to 007. When 007 comes close to you,
So Roger Moore returns for his fifth adventure as James Bond in a harder-edged action thriller much closer to its Fleming roots. After the British spy ship, St. George's, sinks in the Adriatic Sea, Her Majesty's government desperately tries to recover its ATAC system, and a violent race begins between the UK, USSR, and mercenary crime lords to recover the prize. When the British agent recovering the system is assassinated, James Bond is assigned to capture and interrogate the hitman to find the location of the St. George's wreckage and recover the ATAC. Before he can complete his mission, however, the hitman meets his bloody demise thanks to a bolt from the crossbow of Melina Havlock, the daughter of the assassinated British agent. Teaming up with the beautiful yet vengeful Melina, 007 enters the desperate race for the ATAC. Bond evades dastardly hitmen in a thrilling ski chase, teams up with a Greek smuggler on a deadly raid, and duels underwater in a deep-sea adventure before facing off against his nemesis in a literal cliffhanger at a remote Greek monastery. Often outnumbered, but never outmatched, 007 once again proves that nobody does it better. After the outlandish adventure of Moonraker, the producers of the Bond franchise were determined to bring our hero back down to Earth. For your eyes only is noticeable for the lack of Q gadgets and Bond's reliance on his wits and his Walther. This was director John Glenn's first time helming a Bond film, but the audience supported the effort with a North American gross of $62.3 million and an overseas amount of $132.6 million. The cast included Roger Moore as James Bond, Carol Bouquet as Melina Havlock, Julian Glover as Aries Christatos, Topol as Milos Colombo, Michael Gothard as Emil Leopold Locke, Lois Maxwell as Ms. Moneypenny, and Desmond Llewellyn as Q. Back to you, Jared. Thank you for that, Agent Jason. Now, let's find out what our rookie agents thought about this one in a segment called Declassified. Do you expect me to talk? Now we're going to break this movie into a few pieces and get the highlights and insights from our rookie agents. And then Jason will give us some overall insights along the way. And he'll wrap it all up with a few Bond bombs of trivia. And then we'll lead Agent Delvin and Agent Patton to the scoring round, which everybody looks forward to. But let's talk about some stuff first. We're going to break this up into the following sections. We're going to talk a little bit about pre-title sequence, the song in the opening credits. And then we're going to have the Jared's Choice section, where I pick something I think is stand out from this film in a more broad James Bond sense and get the rookie's opinion on it. And then we'll just do some overall opinions of the film. So, a lot of chatty chat coming your way. Let's start with the pre-title sequence. Give me a high or a low that you found in the pre-title sequence, and we'll start with Delvin. So, there was a surprise of seeing Blofeld. You saw the hand in the kitty. It was like, wait, what? (laughs) That definitely took me by surprise and went from, okay, yep, you know. Let's see what's going to, you know, pick up my, like, 30 seconds in, you know, eyebrow already raised, like, okay, all right, yeah, let's go, let's do this. <laughs> Notice the Bond crew was pretty crafty in that they still didn't have the rights to use Blofeld again because of the whole legal battle, so they never name him, they never show a face or anything, but they give you all the key marks you need to know who it is. You know who it is. <laughs> I didn't know that they didn't have the rights to Blofeld at that time. Yes, they're very distant from their rights because of the whole legal thing that went down with Thunderball when Kevin McClory sued them because he helped Ian Fleming write the novel Thunderball. So a lot of the stuff therein contained was like debatable about who owned what. So you won't see any Blofeld uh, after Diamonds Are Forever. You don't see any Spectre after Diamonds Are Forever. Spectre and Blofeld just kind of disappear. And Spectre doesn't come back until, you know, the latest Daniel Craig movie. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a weird 
legal thing. But yeah, they did a good job and it was neat to see him come back. Let's throw over to Christados. Yeah, that's probably not a bad thing, though. That way they don't keep going to the well on that. Yeah, you know, you know there's something to yep, that. I can agree with that, Pat. Funny side note is if you remember the Spectre ring that Largo wore, a mm-hmm. Spectre symbol was like an octopus looking thing. Mm-hmm. And if you play some of the James Bond video games, specifically from Russia with Love, they call the evil organization Octopus in the video game. Because uh. they didn't have the rights to use Spectre still, so they called it Octopus. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you got? A high or a low for the opening uh, pre-title sequence, my friend Christados, the good Christados? I kind of got both. My first high is I like the callback to Teresa. I like the callback to that in the beginning. I'm like, well, what's he doing here? And then you see the tombstone and that. I'm like, oh, that's a really good callback. And he seemed very in thought with that until the priest comes and interrupts him. But I like that callback. My low, I thought the whole helicopter kind of, uh, eh, it was all right. I don't know. I can piggyback on that, Pat. I agree with you. And it definitely just called into mind like, okay, you know, you're Blofeld, you hate Bond. You could do better. You could do so much better than, ooh, scary helicopter ride. Like, really? Why not like, just crash the thing? Yes! Yeah, he wanted to enjoy his moment. Got a toy with him. This toy with him. He's <laughs> like a cat toying with a mouse. I guess I just don't get it, senior agents. I don't. Yeah. Okay, I'll tell you the one part that bothers me. I'm all for the helicopter thing. It gives you a really cool little stunt sequence. Yeah, it's so it's some tension. <laughs> but there's one part where Blofeld flies Bond into this building that's under construction or something. There's mm-hmm. like a very yeah, like- little room for error for that helicopter. And Bond's just wrenching the controls back and forth trying to get control of it and I'm like dude at that point I would not touch a dang thing, okay? Like, if he all of a sudden got control, he would have crashed it immediately. <laughs> I'm waiting, I'm thinking, like, oh, when's the cat gonna go and paw at it like it happens with Jason? This <laughs> 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 moment is ruined because the cat... <laughs> you screwed up my whole revenge plan! Bad kitty! I'll tell you the part that I had trouble with, actually, is when he's flying it, there's a point where he flies the helicopter really low over the roof that he's sitting on, and he turns it around and comes back if I'm Bond, I'm just going to pile drive right off of that skin, yeah. right into that guy and just yeah. let him break my fall. Exactly. <laughs> There's lots of times when he could just jump off of there. I liked how you brought up the expression on his face, Pat. I never really noticed that until this yeah, recent he's, watch. He's in really in deep kind of thought when he's staring there. And then you can see that he gets startled by the guy coming. And that mask comes back on. Mm-hmm. Like the James Bond mask comes back on. But I thought that was a really good bit of acting by Roger Moore. Yeah, you know, I'm sure he knew kind of what happened, but just to have that play out there like that was kind of good. You know, and then and, and it's a callback to the other movie where he gets kind of questioned about it. Spy Who Loved Me. Right? Yeah, Spy Who Loved Me. Yep. And I watch so many, I'm getting all the names confused, you know. <laughs> You'll be expected to keep up with all these names if you want to make full agent. Mm, okay. Well, I'm going to have to get <laughs> something cheat sheet somewhere. Don't, don't worry, Pat. We'll get some crib notes together, dude. We, we got this. <laughs> Any other burning highs or lows from you guys before we move on to the theme song and open credits yes one more low there's no more lows allowed (laughs) you've done enough lows (laughs) i will sum it up by saying (laughs) you didn't like when he got dumped down the tower down the smokestack i don't mind that he went out like ben riley but (laughs) that was gonna be my other thing i was gonna say that reminds me of something i've seen somewhere yeah i don't mind that it's the sound effect the goofy sound effect Mm -hmm. mr (laughs) bull (laughs) 
I like it how it hits and then it rolls into the theme song, though. That is cool. So it was a low, but I mean, it's not like a lowest of low. It's Yeah, you're right, though. It was one of those little, just a little goofy Roger Moore thing. Put it this way. I think that is a very good pace setter for how I'm ultimately going to rate this movie. Jason's going to be very angry by the end of this. <laughs> All right, let's get the fresh take from the rookies on the theme song and opening credits. Delvin, what did you think about the theme song and opening credits? I'm going to continue with my theme that you guys don't know yet. I guess it's a mystery theme. But the opening song for Your Eyes Only, Sheena Easton, it was very pretty and captivating as well. But in a way, it's not a Bond song. It didn't really have those familiar notes to it. You shut your mouth. You shut your mouth right now. (laughs) All I'm saying is, you know, a lot of times the James Bond songs have that brass to it, that element from the original theme song. And this one didn't. I mean, it's beautiful, but it didn't. So those are this rookie's thoughts on it. Pat, what do you think? I actually like the song. You know, I've heard it so many times growing up as a kid. So it's been around. You've heard it on the radio. So I really didn't mind it. You know, when I heard it right away, I knew it. I liked the title sequence, you know, the background video and all that that's going on as well, too. I I really like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anybody notice anything interesting or different from this sequence that you hadn't seen before? Well, you spoiled it for us. I think I know, (laughs) Did I spoil it for you last time? Well, in conversation, I believe you said that they use Sheena Easton and they have never the right. artist before. Right. First time the artist actually shows up in the sequence. So I guess I ruined my own trivia question. <laughs> but you have demonstrated that we do pay attention to you. So like it's win-win. <laughs> Pat, do you have any questions for us about the song? I say, why don't we go ahead and rate this song? We'll do it through a one through seven. Seven being you really, really, really liked it. So let's see what we're going to get for a rating. Oh, let's go with Jason. I think I would have to give this one a six. Not my favorite, but definitely in my wheelhouse. This is my 10-year-old Bond. So I have some nostalgic factor that's probably bumping it up a little bit. But I'll say six. Right. What about you, Jared? What do you think? I'm right there with you. I give it a six. There's a lot of nostalgia here for me. It's the first song I ever called a radio station to request, and they played when I was about six years old. So, uh, yeah, special place in the heart. Gets a six. Let's go back to Delvin. I give it a five. Didn't say it was a terrible song, guys. I just wanted to make the note that... Take your five and shove it up. <laughs> you giving it a five to Sheena? Yes. <laughs> What's wrong with you? I am giving it a five. The I, Sheena? My pettiness will take it to a four. I will do. I will do. <laughs> you do it just y'all, a second. Y'all want to keep talking? <laughs> Go down to the three. <laughs> I will turn this car around. <laughs> On all of us. No. Five. Very pretty song. Very pretty. Enjoy it a lot. Would definitely listen to it. There's a reason why it's so doggone popular. Pat, bring us home, dude. I'm going to agree with the boys. The Elbrook boys. It's a six for me. It's a good song. Being a DJ, it's a song I could play and people would dance at. You could play it at a wedding. You could play it wherever else you are. And people are going to dance to the song because it could mean in many different things. I like that was that. dumb. I'm oh, lame. I don't like that. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> 
Well, on that note, let's move into the Jared's Choice segment for this week. This week, I want to focus on one of the things in this film. Jason mentioned it earlier, is that it brings back to more harder edge, more assassin-oriented killer James Bond. And Roger Moore famously said that one of his least favorite scenes he ever did was the scene where Locke was in his car teetering on the edge of the cliff, and Bond basically tosses him that little pin that he leaves at the scene of all of his murders and just kicks the car off and kills him. Roger Moore said he didn't like that. He thought it was too much, too violent. Best scene Roger ever did. Best dang scene he ever did, in my opinion as well. So today's question to the rookies is thinking about Bond as a killer, as an assassin, cold-blooded killer, as he is from the books. Which of his kills stand out to you the most to this point in the series, from the films that you've seen? So pick maybe one or two kills that you've seen Bond do that you were like, man, that was harsh. I got it. Of course, I'm going to blank on names. Uh, Was it Thunderball? The underwater base? Underwater base? Oh, I think I see where you're going. Spy Who Loved Me with uh, Stromberg? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He just cracked him. Bang! Like, dang! Oh, wow. (laughs) He shot him several times. I was not expecting that at all. That was, to me, a pretty brutal kill. And they seemed to want to let you know that that was was a little personal. And Bond is usually that unflappable guy. Nothing really bothers him, but he seemed to really have it out for Stromberg, and he wanted him dead, personally. That stands out to me. What do you think, Pat? The one in this movie, you know, with him killing uh, Locke like that what comes to mind is just a lot of, of the other like side ones that he does when either trying to get information from somebody or doing something like that you know he's hurting them to get information and you know I think of the guy that he let go off of the roof mm, well, Spy Who Loved Me as well yeah. that's a good one yeah those little ones like that instead of the big ones okay well that's legit I think it's back to Dr. No oh yeah like, Professor shoot, yeah he waits that whole time playing solitaire lets Dent come in there and shoot the little dummy thing that he set up in the bed and mm-hmm. then interrogates him and then just cooks him. Good answers all. All right. Well, let's get to the highs and lows of the film overall from Agents Delvin and Pat. And we'll let Delvin go first. What'd you think, Delvin? First tie, then. This is the first Bond movie I've seen, and this is the 12th. Holy cow. We are yeah. halfway through. I know. Yeah, it's hard to believe that. Right now. This is the first movie that felt modern. Okay. Mm. I see And that. I believe I had that thought when the pool scene was going and there was kind of this discotheque type music that was playing. That was you know, a little bit hip. And Did anybody list, actually listen to the lyrics of that song? inside you. There we go. Well, you know what they're talking about. That's outlandish. They do not talk about sexual stuff during Bond movies. <laughs> I had to go back and actually look at the captions and go. <laughs> he played the captions. I'm like, really? I'm like, wow. That's like one of those things where if you listen to it subliminally, is that going to. I have never listened to the lyrics. So now you've given me something to look forward to. Go and listen to the lyrics or, you know, watch the captions. It's very suggestive. In that scene by the pool, there is your first and possibly only transgendered Bond girl. I have her autograph. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a variety of people there, too, just hanging out at that guy's house. Yep. He's got a little party crib going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that biggest in that film is the guy that when everything goes to hell, he takes that money back. <laughs> From the girls. <laughs> <laughs> The runner-up, then, would be Blofeld's Kitty, who saw that things are going south and was like, mm-mm, nope. <laughs> <Bye>. <laughs> Jumped off the lap and was done. Mm-mm, I'm out. Delvin, you were talking about how the movie felt modern and we kind of derailed you. No, 
I said my piece. And I'm going to agree with Delvin on that. It does seem a little more modern movie. And maybe that's also the song change to a little more modern feel instead of the old orchestrate, like Delvin said, brass feel to it. They brought it up look, to what? Look, this don't, is what, don't, 1981? Don't re, don't, let's not relitigate the song. You know, it's a five. Maybe it's a three. Maybe it's a three now, guys. Maybe it's a three. You can't, you can't change your number. You can't change your number. <laughs> that number is locked in. And one of my highs is Bond dealing with Q again in the lab room area. And I like how Q, as they open the door to the identity, whatever that is, he hits the button. Identigraph. Identigraph. He hits the button to open the door, and they're waiting for the door to open. And then Bond, kind of sneaky Bond, clicks on the button again. And the Q kind of looks at him, and he just gives him a smile. <laughs> I start to notice a lot of that Bond, or maybe it's just Roger Moore, just giving that subtle out of nod and wink to what's kind of going on. And the car chase as well, too, when the guys bump up or getting close to him, and he kind of just looks, smiles at him. He's like, yeah, I know you've been chasing me. And I'm like, hey, how's it going? It's that unflappable characteristic that we saw starting with Live and Let Die, you know, his first album. That's very true. I read some trivia. Can I share some trivia I read? Please, Please. do. Those first five notes that Q put in were the first five notes of Nobody Does It better from the spy who loved me oh. <laughs> oh very cool i didn't know that and james well, you would if you waited for my bond bombs <laughs> <laughs> well you better craft up another one real quick much like the uh, opening sequence of the movie it's like i was thinking why are they pulling in a land my boom i just blew up one of your bombs i'm sorry <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of stupid. Why point they... out that Delvin just called it a landmine, and I find that to be very, very funny. Oh, that is funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah they call it, it's a water mine. It's a land sea mine. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. That's, that's hilarious. <laughs> I, I do like how low-tech this is, more spy, as said before. I do like that. And then you get that ship, how it was hidden in whatever they were hauling in for that day and the little special ways that they had to get into there. There was a lot of sneaky Bond stuff going on in this. Yeah, it's espionage heavy, this one. Yeah. Is. Melina, her parents were very brutally mowed down in front of her. I was like, ooh. And she gave that look that was like, ooh. So, throwing a little bit of comic book trivia in here, I believe the character of Elektra in the comic book came out in the early 80s. And man, if somehow they were like hip and on it and were able to create a movie, Melina Havelock would be an excellent Elektra. She even mentioned the name Elektra she did. In, the, she did. in the movie. And man, she had that look down. She was definitely not someone to trifle with. So, she was an awesome Bond girl. Was the name Elektra? Electra, though, is she referencing like Greek mythology? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Greek women like Electra always avenge their love. Yeah. Yeah, I thought she was an excellent Bond girl as well. She was very pretty, but with a deadly look in her eye. I think you're absolutely right, Delvin. I will add to that high then by saying I like how Bond and her relationship, how it develops. It mm. was a very well-developed relationship. Yeah. Remember me complaining about how in The Spy Who Loved Me, how I'd never bought into that chemistry. Mm -hmm. I absolutely did buy into the chemistry of Melina and Bond because maybe he was feeling a little bit sad how the movie started when he went to visit his fallen wife, saw that she had a devastating loss as well, but he showed concern for her at several points in the movie of, hey, I don't want you to even be near this. I'm the spy. Let me take care of this and I promise I'll get back to you. And he wasn't just doing that just for self-serving reasons. It seemed like he was actually doing that to be a decent dude and I thought that was very cool. I 
think I agree with your point there as well, Delvin, that this relationship, it built. They didn't just jump into it right away. You know, right. you knew there was some chemistry happening, but they didn't just, you know, jump into the sack right away. They let it build and build and build. Yes. To when something finally happened, I was like, yeah, sure. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. I got a question for you guys. Okay. I don't know. This might be a low. What good does throwing a motorcycle at someone when you're not close to them? <laughs> it's a desperation move. <laughs> you could have just ran up there. I mean, you're a bodybuilding kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess you how strong he is and how much Bond had ticked him off. And it's funny you should mention that particular moment because I was texting Jason while I was watching it because Jason and I originally had that movie on VHS. We taped it off of ABC Sunday Night the Movie. Mm-hmm. And that is the exact point where a commercial break was. And Jason and I were laughing about how we can to this day remember where all the commercial breaks are <laughs> because we watched it so many times on that VHS tape. I was thinking that when they get back to the mini sub after she had her tank damage and they clear out all the water and then she starts breathing that oxygen from the mask, mm-hmm. they cut to commercial there commercial. too. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, to answer your question, the old motorcycle toss, it's not a terribly yeah. effective maneuver. Delvin said he was doing motorcycle tossing in jiu-jitsu, I think next week. <laughs> yeah. That's right. yeah. Yes. I mean, you got to be at least a brown belt before they teach you the motorcycle. (laughs) I'm at the throwing the gun stage right now. So, (laughs) well, I remember as a kid, 10 years old, when I saw that, to me, it showed how strong he was and how dangerous of a guy he was. And so I thought, oh, this guy's going to be a tough fight for Bond. (laughs) That was 10 year old Jason. No, that "Eh," comes from, I agree with you. He should have been much tougher than how he went out. Yeah. Hey, gravity doesn't care how strong you are, how good your fighting skills are. You're going out a window, you're going out a window. When they are fighting, though, he does remind me of, oh, what was that guy's name with the brass knuckle guy? Rosa Klepp? No. <laughs> The guy who gets hit by her, yeah. Uh, what's oh, uh, uh, Grant. So yeah, it reminds me of kind of Grant. He's like a younger Grant. He's just taking, Bond's punching him in the ribs and and then... Yeah, headbutting him and everything yeah, else. Yeah, and he's just like, he's just standing there. Like, yeah. Did you not see me throw that motorcycle a while back there? <laughs> I picked things up and put them down. <laughs> I picked things up and I put them down. <laughs> No further questions. Speaking of questions, I have another question for you. (laughs) Oh, man. That's a good segue, though. Yes, that was a good good one. I don't know what to do. (laughs) Good one, Pat. Good one. Well, the question may be just a little bit nuts, but... Oh, I know what the question's going to be about now. Why are they smuggling pistachios now? (laughs) I can get them at the grocery store. Well, Pat, it's an awfully tasty nut. I don't know if you have. What? No, I know that. Yeah, you know, I, I truly agree. I, I actually know the answer to this, Pat. Was you it? legitimately want to know? I know. Oh, I, I do because I'm thinking he's like naming off all these kind of uh, not so good stuff. You know what I mean? But I was like nuts. That's that's just nuts. I don't get it. <laughs> why do you have to smuggle say nuts? <laughs> yeah, why you got smuggle nuts? <laughs> these nuts. Why you got smuggle them? <laughs> <laughs> I was trying. I'm like, oh, yeah, don't, don't say nuts again. Don't say nuts again. <laughs> the whole time I said I actually know why, it was a setup for a D's nuts D's joke. joke. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. Oh, I, know. So I, know I didn't really know why. I was just waiting my turn to you do a D's nuts joke, and it got it got spent. Someone well, you know, busted that nut joke oh, out as oh, it was. You know Columbo, he likes D's nuts. Hey, D's nuts like, fell off the back of a truck. I can give these to you at half price. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to team up with Scaramanga, and they're going to sell pistachios and coconuts. <laughs> I don't know, Pat. Okay. You smuggle well, stuff it's for profit. That's why. You smuggle stuff for profit. That's all I know. I mean, they are kind of expensive nut, right? They're not like cashews, but... Yeah. Still, I, I just... I'm like, really? The last thing you're going to end with is... And it's pistachio nuts. <laughs> 
Whoa. I smuggle gold, diamonds, cigarettes, and pistachios. Yeah, oh. he was getting high off his own supply of those pistachios. <laughs> Ask Alan J. Porter, man. He'll tell yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. Alan, if you're listening or if somebody knows, please comment and tell us why. I, I'm, I'm going nuts trying to figure this out. <laughs> so stupid. Oh, good. There must have been money in it. He had like a fleet of ships and a mm-hmm. bunch of... Yeah, don't want to give us a high or a low so we can get off of this topic. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I absolutely will. Let's go with a low. The hockey fight. <laughs> In fairness to Roger Moore, most of the movie I'm looking at the action scenes, I'm like, I don't really have an issue with this. There were no super kicks of doom or anything like that. <laughs> to the butt cheek. <laughs> yeah, to the butt cheek that apparently paralyzes an entire man's body. <laughs> Nothing of that sort. But that hockey fight was like, ooh, that was bad. What do you mean by bad? Because I feel like it was unnecessary. I'm That's what I was thinking, too. It wasn't necessary. It doesn't change anything. I guess the whole point of it was the Dove was throwing out all stops to kill Bond. Okay. There could have just been many more inventive ways to kill Bond that were like, you know what? Since we have him here, let's get three random hockey goons. <laughs> the plan was flimsy. <laughs> yeah. Just really flimsy. So between that and then the Zamboni and the scoreboard going up was like yeah yeah the scoreboard is like um doesn't that get to be done by somebody roger moore yeah very yes quite sir roger moore just an absolutely unneeded scene in the original movie before they edited it when they filmed it they had charles dance the actor that played his name i think is klaus in the movie you saw him he was the guy on the ski jump that came out and ambushed him on the ski jump Mm -hmm. and he was in one of the car he was the guy that got shot in the back with the arrow he was one of those hockey guys and so it was their goons that went out and ambushed him on the ice and it's revealed at the end of the original scene but they cut that out so it just looks to us like three guys just kind of skated up and started beating up roger moore i figured it was the goons coming in yeah and so i i agree with jared that if they're gonna cut that out they may as well just cut out that whole scene because it wasn't necessary i don't know it seemed like they didn't even try that hard to kill him i was no. Time determining if they were killers or just real hockey players. They could have, <laughs> they could have taken them out like when they first swept by him. They all had yeah. their sticks. They could have just whack whack. It's like they decided to legitimately practice hockey for about eight or nine minutes, yeah. <laughs> or just shot him while he was on the ice. I mean, out in the open right there. <laughs> Guys, we were going to kill 007, but you know, while we're here. <laughs> That's we got gonna... the ice for the next thirty minutes. <laughs> we, we paid for it. <laughs> Let's knock the puck around a little bit. Uh, but <laughs> you know, yeah, we was... got that game coming up against the other group, and we gotta, you know, we gotta get good at it. <laughs> yeah, we, we got a big playoff against Scare yeah. Vegas. Games. <laughs> 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 gotta get ready. It's gonna get us closer to the cup. So the Doves versus the Golden Guns. I will point this out, though. It might be in your highs or lows. If so, just latch right on, fellas. Did you guys think that this movie, more so than any Bond movie, just has a ton of action set pieces? Oh yeah. Like, it goes from ski jump, hockey fight, underwater fight, mountain fight. Like, goodness gracious, there's a lot of set pieces, I thought. Do you think that they were overcompensating for Moonraker? Possible. I'll add this part to it. It, I'm amazed that a movie franchise that is in its 12th movie 
movie at this point. It tries to stay with the times. I get that. And, and that is respectable. But sometimes it seems like the Bond films have an inferiority complex. Mm-hmm. And maybe that just comes from, hey, we want to stay ahead of the times enough to continue making money. But sometimes it just seems like, oh, oh, oh God, we went too far. Revert, revert, revert. Oh, God, everything back to original. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jason talked about that with Diamonds. Yeah. And a lot of people, from what I remember you guys saying, and I believe I heard maybe Van and or Alan say something about it. A lot of people look down upon Diamonds because of it, because it's derivative and safe. Mm-hmm. So I'm tilting a little bit towards what my final rating is going to wind up being. So maybe all of the set designs came from that familiar, infamous Bond inferiority complex. I think that's a fair question, statement, challenge, however you want to phrase it. I think that's fair. Well, I would point out that this was John Glenn's first film. And John Glenn was primarily an action set director. That's his strengths. So I think he went right to his strengths right away. The second point I wanted to focus on was that this movie was trying, I think, to get away from the super villain aspect that we saw with Spy Who Loved Me or You Only Live Twice. And I think that's why they had the opening scene the way that they had it. They wanted to dump Blofeld down a smokestack and be done with it and then go more into the Cold War era and bring it more into the 80s. That scene was more symbolic, you think? I think so. That's the way I've read it. That's kind of what I've seen in behind the scenes interviews. And I think they wanted to give Bond a harder edge. And I think that was a challenge with Roger Moore in this film. But I think it overall it worked, at least for me, it worked. It brought it back to the books. The story itself has some core scenes from the Fleming books, from the dragging them over the reef, for example. The character of Melina Havelock was from the short story for your eyes only. So for the purists, those that like the Bond novels, there's a lot to like there. It also mixed in a lot of good action sets. I think that that's how that for your eyes only formula worked out. I liked it. I think a lot of people liked it. You know, maybe it was a little derivative for some, but I thought it was pretty good for John Glenn's first go at it. I really liked the cool underwater sites of the Greek mythology and, and all that. I thought that's really kind of cool to see those sets. I don't know if mm-hmm. those were sets or were the actual locations. The cool looking. Yeah, they ancient were. stuff like that to see and then underwater, how it just kind of is still there interests me a lot. So the other thing is I find it funny that Bond tells Molina to not talk to preserve air when they're down in the sunken ship. Mm-hmm. And then he proceeds to tell <laughs> everything that he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> I got a kick out of that even when I was a kid because I'm like all wrapped up in it. I'm like, oh, okay, don't talk. I got to say beer. Got it. Don't talk. Yeah. Dude, why are you always talking? <laughs> I didn't realize it back then that you needed someone to tell the audience what was going on. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Yeah, it makes sense, but I'm like, you just told her not to talk, and here you are talking. Well, he just didn't want her talking, that's all. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I got two more quick things. Q, the master of disguise. Ah, uh, yes, that's putting it that. mildly. <laughs> Columbo, he reminds me of somebody, another helper of Bonds, that was really good. I turned to like this guy. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I liked him a lot, too. I, I, yeah. But I couldn't put my finger on who he reminded me of, of the I, other. I want to answer the question, because <laughs> I read more trivia, but I don't. Don't want to explode any more of Jason's Lancey mind. <laughs> just go, go for it. I got IMDb up right now, so I'll just grab some of those. <laughs> 
<laughs> it might be a callback to Karen Bay. A little, uh, maybe, I think. It's, but this it, guy's it, more action-y. Well, not directly. And, of course, remember, the Karen Bay real actor was dying of cancer, so he yeah. couldn't be action-y. But I think that they wanted to have kind of that action sidekick. How about um Quarrel, then? Because yeah. Quarrel was action-y. Quarrel Jr. more than Quarrel. Yeah. Maybe maybe Draco from On Her Majesty's Secret Service, Tracy's dad. Ooh. Maybe, yeah, maybe that's a, a little bit. Yeah. I thought of Karen Bay. Yeah. Maybe action-y. that's what it is. Because he's a little action-y. He's a little bit seedy about the law. Mm-hmm. But he's kind of classy at the same time. Yeah. 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 That's probably it. I think he's a combination between the two. There you go. All right. Dove, you got anything else burning? It's worth mentioning again, the scene where the dove gets killed. Mm-hmm. That, oof. <laughs> 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 I mean, Bond gave zero Fs. <laughs> there was not an F to give. In Look that, that guy in the eye. Yeah, because, I mean, the dude was kind of like looking like, help me. You're going to help me, right? And Bond just threw the pen in there and was like, nope. <laughs> like, I'm going to help you over the side. Yeah, I just, I'm about to give you some help. Like, <laughs> that was heavy. I can see why Roger Moore wouldn't like that. I'm not saying I side with Roger Moore, but I can see why he wouldn't like that. I mean, and even the line that he gave out, yeah, no head for heights, like, ooh. <laughs> Even the line was cold. Dang. Yes. <laughs> so that's worth mentioning again as my finale that that was a cold-blooded line and it was a cold-blooded scene. Absolutely. Yeah. I have one soapbox thing that I want to do before we kick it over to Jason. Nobody it. brought it up, which I'm glad. Because a lot of times when this movie gets brought up, some people <laughs> complain about BB Doll, the skater. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so creepy with Bond and that girl. And I'm like, did you not watch the movie? What was creepy? He didn't make any attempt to go after her whatsoever. He did everything he could do to brush her off and do it in a nice guy way. I hear that a lot. People say, oh, it's so creepy. I mean, he was so old and she was so young. I'm like, but he did the right thing. I wrote a note about it. Let me go to the note real quick. I wrote something good for my Bon Bon, too. I basically wrote some joke about, I was like, man, because at the time I had a feeling they were trying to play her off as being young, but at the time when she threw herself at him and Bond was kind of like, uh, nope, like, man, between that and the Mal- like a Molina scene happened shortly, it's like, he's being a freaking last Boy Scout here. I am impressed. <laughs> Bond showing sexual. He hated himself. Like, I thought I was going to buy her an ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was funny. It definitely funny. Definitely. Yeah, a lot of people get like upset about it, and I'm just like, I just don't feel like you watched the movie. <laughs> now, the if right you want to get upset at the end when they're basically like, "Yeah, you got a new sponsor now," and Columbo's like, "Wink!" Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Yeah, I well, maybe he, he likes the trainer. Yeah, I think he's more about Yakuba. That's what I think. <laughs> Whatever. That's what I tell myself. <laughs> you know, I, I, I did. <laughs> I did kind of start to have those thoughts in the beginning, but then, like Jared said, you watch the movie all the way through, then you go, okay, Bond does the right. Yeah, yeah. poor BB got smacked around. Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> at the end, everybody smacked BB at some point. <laughs> but hey, she also bruises out, didn't he? Got her both sides. <laughs> but I give her credit. She was not afraid to jump into the action, and she mm-hmm. tried to defend herself. So and he was going to get popped. Yeah, she bought him the time he needed. Yeah, she was being an excellent sidekick and a helper by doing what she did. And sometimes being that <laughs> no good deed goes unpunished. Sometimes you do that and you get your butt kicked. I'm glad everybody kind of saw it the same way I did because that has always bugged me. I knew for the moment we were going to do this episode. I was like, I'm going to get on my BB doll soapbox.
box. Because so many people complain about it, say it's creepy. And I'm like, I don't get it. He did the right thing. No, I, mean, I guess was... it's just kind of weird to see a girl that young kiss a guy that old. But he obviously wasn't into it. No, Yeah, no. there was only one time in the movie where he sort of got close to her to try and get more information from her. And James Bond has shown over and over that he will cross the line in the name of honor and country. Mm-hmm. But he's not going to do it just deriving pleasure from it. And so when I saw that scene, I'm like, yep, okay, I see what he's doing. He's cozying up to her to try to get more information from her, not just because, hey, I'm 51 year old James Bond. I'm making up age there. And I'm trying to mack on this this 16 year old. Well, I'm probably not too far off. I think you're pretty close. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, he wasn't trying to mack on her. He was attempting to get information. So I agree with you, Jared. I don't think that he was out of bounds at any point with BB during the movie. Jason, you ready to bomb us? Yes, I am. I just wanted to add one quick thing that we didn't discuss, and it was the ski chase scene, which is one of my favorite Bond so action good. sequences so yeah, yeah. of the whole series. And once again, I think we need to take a tip of the hat to Willie Bogner, who has filmed all these magnificent ski sequences that we've enjoyed thus far. That's all I had to say. I that think was the that, same mm-hmm. cat that did the Majesty ski scenes, too, wasn't it? Uh-huh. And Spy Who Loved Me. Yeah, he's definitely the man. I like them. I think they went by pretty quick. I mean, I, next thing you know, I was watching it, and then I wake up again, and it was over with. <laughs> oh, Pat. <laughs> Pat. Good one, Pat. Good one, Pat. Good I'll one. give you a bad one, Pat. Bad one, Pat. Bad one. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> On to my Bond bombs. So Bond bomb number one. The young goon that tries to attack Bond on the ski jump was played by actor Charles Dance. Charles would go on to play Tywin Lannister in Game of Thrones. Oh, I don't know what that means, but I'll act impressed. (laughs) He's a big actor in Game of Thrones. Okay. Bond bomb number two. It was during this production that Cassandra Harris, who played Countess Liesel von Schlaff, introduced Pierce Brosnan to Albert R. Brock. And got the Pierce Brosnan Bond train on the tracks. She was married to Pierce Brosnan. Yes, that was his wife. Yes. Oh, okay. I thought maybe she. I thought she was just introducing Pierce to his vegetables. (laughs) Good one, Ben. Oh my gosh, Ben. Yes, Cassandra Harris unfortunately passed away of cancer some years ago, but she was married to Pierce Brosnan. And then number three, although Bond rejects BB's advances because of her young age, as we so eloquently discussed here, it's important to note that Lynn Hawley Johnson is only one year younger than Carol Bouquet, who played Melina Havlock. So let that sink in, gentlemen. <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> That's funny. And with Jason's 007 trivia nuggets tucked safely away, which is a phrase that I think is funny for some reason. It is. It is. It's kind of funny. <laughs> tuck these nuggets away? We can go for ice cream later. Speaking of which... <laughs> I noticed Kriegler in that scene on the boat when he was just wearing those swim trunks. He was tucking his nuggets to the left. <laughs> oh. he, was a, he was a pistachio smuggler. Oh, <laughs> uh, anyway. Yeah, those trunks right. weren't smuggling anything, man. I'm going to save us and have our rookie agent score this film. Jason, take it away. <laughs> 
right. You know the deal. One to seven martinis. Pat, how many martinis are you going to give this film? I am going to give this film six martinis. I liked it. I can't go with the full seven. There was still something missing. I'm going to knock it down for kind of what I said. The skiing and the driving scenes. A little long. You know, I think they could have. Come on, Pat. Come on. I I think they could have cut them short. Just too long for me. I still enjoyed the movie. I was intrigued all the way through. Just that it was kind of a simple Bond movie. You know, not over the top. Good. Good. Delvin, what about you, sir? Oh, boy. (laughs) Don't screw this up, Williams. (laughs) I'm sorry. I got I, I, I gotta keep it real, guys. I give it a four. I give it a four of seven. Oh. It's hard for me to explain why. I watch the movie, I'm writing my notes, and at the end I'm like, all right, credits are rolling. What do I think? And I put four of seven. And I actually wrote something just seemed missing. I may have fleshed it out thinking afterwards. I think we fleshed it out a little bit here in this podcast. It definitely set off in a direction, but at least if you want Roger Moore's bond, then do Roger Moore's bond, which is gonna be a little campy and gonna have like the goofy sound effects, but it's gonna have some, you know, action a little bit. I was kind of at least used to it in that, okay, maybe that's not what James Bond is fully, but it certainly is what Roger Moore's James Bond is. So they did this complete about face and give me this super serious Bond without devices and everything is stripped, but they still have Roger Moore there. It's confusing to me. It was kind of all over the place-ish and that's where my conflict comes in. It wasn't a bad movie. There were many things of the movie that I enjoyed. It didn't drag on or anything like that, but there's just something about it that just didn't fully connect with me. So that's my four of seven. Delvin, I think that was a well thought out answer, actually. I, I know you this. You can still eat <laughs> it. <laughs> still wrong, but well thought out. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take the abuse. <laughs> I mean, it's fair. I think this movie would have suited like Timothy Dalton better, but yeah, it's fair. If I had to go and do the fantasy, pick a different Bond or a different director, I would do same director, but I would have George Lazenby. Mm-hmm. I can see that. Yeah, I'd use either George or Timothy for this one. Well, haven't seen Timothy Dalton ever perform the character of James Bond yet, so... Things are about to get nasty. <laughs> Nice one, Jason. Trust me, he did a good one. (laughs) Okay, I'll trust you. (laughs) Well, thank you, gentlemen. And now it's time to crown this episode's Double O Award winner. Pat Delvin will do this by answering a series of trivia questions on For Your Eyes Only. Delvin is our current champion. But before we do that, we got to take a quick break to thank our Patreon sponsors. White Rocket Entertainment. Big thanks to everybody out there who's supporting the show. So let me run down this list. Thank you guys so much for your support. And we're kicking it off with Brendan O'Dwyer, then Samuel Salvatore, Christopher Burles, and Joseph Fine, Brandon Sisson, Christopher Brock, Phil Amthor, Susan Trawick, Ben Spooner, Stephen Forker, just kidding, Stephen Thompson, Chris Usher, yeah, Justin Bean, Steve Trawick, Richard Stevens, Reynolds Wolf from the Weather Channel, Joshua Corbett, Valiant Hermes, Jacob and Robin Fleming, Clay Henson, Ann Kanjian, Catherine England, George Gaston, 
Will Summerford, John McCune, Tom Anderson, David Evers, Andrew Barber, Timothy, Steve Harlan, Dan Thompson, Wes Atkinson, Rich Reimer, Gerard Albrecht, William Glenn Matthews, Joel Beckham, Shannon Butson, Taylor, David Hegler, Nikki B, Hugh Anderson, Shane Bailey, Matt Robinheimer, Mick Vigicana, Chris Thrash, Logan Shelton, Tony Perry, Alex Wynn, Josh Teal, David Simpson, Earl, Ricks, War Eagle, Earl, Mike Finley, C.T. Wayne, Dave Powell, Ivor Evans, John Zvachin. I think some of these are made up just to make my life hard. Ronald McCollum, Chris Camo, Darren Pyle, Chris, Wardam Wade, Jason Alberich, Randall Walker, Ben Amos, Ruth, and Darren Sutherland, Patrick Williams, Rob Morgan, Steve Schuster, James Taylor. Oh, I've seen fire and I've seen rain. Perfect. John Stubbs, Kenneth, Brent Rains, Nicholas, you ain't got to lie, Craig, Russell Milling, Matthew Wagstaff, Joey Miller, Mark Squire, David Medina, Spanky, Brant Rumble, J.W. Pepper Rice, Michael Morton, Lawrence Kane, and our one-time and anonymous donors, one of which is not anonymous, is Surfer Chickify. We appreciate it. If we missed you on our list, please let us know. We do record these well in advance, so we might have it corrected already, but hey, it's no problem. Just send us an email, ohmspod at outlook.com, and we will fix it if it's wrong. And if you'd like to help contribute to help us repay Q for his boat that I believe went over a waterfall, you too can help sponsor the show over at patreon.com. Just search the keyword Plexico and you can give as little as a dollar a month to help keep Agent Jason stocked with wrist darts. You want armor piercing, Jason, or you want that cyanide ones? Mix those up. All right. <laughs> and like those other folks whose names you just heard, you'll get a shout out on every episode of all White Rocket Entertainment shows, including this one. As a Patreon, you'll also get bonus materials, behind the scenes information on all White Rocket endeavors, including our novels, comic books, and more. Back to you, Jason. Okay, let's try to find out who this Missions Trivia Double O Award winner is going to be, so he can lord it over the other guy until the next episode. Agent Jared and I have each prepared three questions for a total of six. We'll take turns asking each of our contestants a question. You get it right, that's one point. You get it wrong, your opponent has an opportunity for a steal, Sneaky Bond style. Most points get you the coveted Double O Award, an exploding bolo, and a free trip to outer space. While supplies last, not available in all areas. Let's start the segment we like to call Agents Under Fire. Well, I understand double O's have a very short life expectancy. Delvin, I believe you are our champion last time. Would you like to go first or second? Second. Pat, who you want to read? I'm going to go with Jason. So, Jason, if you will read for Pat for the first question, I will read for Delvin the second. Let's do it. Okay, Pat, your right. first question is multiple choice. Ooh. Is it? Delvin sucks uh. a little, a lot, or C, the most. A little, a lot, or the most. I'm going to go with D, all the above. <laughs> that is absolutely correct, plus a bonus point. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, in all seriousness, your question is this. What's the only gadget we got to see in action on Bond's white Lotus Esprit? The radar? No, I don't know. That is incorrect. Oh, Delvin, you, you want to try to steal? Delvin the chance for a steal. It blew up. <laughs> oh, right. Which is why he needed a red Lotus Esprit. <laughs> Delvin's out swinging with a point. And oh, he has, he has I just saw it. Every standard car had that. <laughs> they had an alarm system on it. Delvin, you actually do get a multiple choice question. Oh. Listen carefully. Downhill skiing, cross country skiing, luge, bobsledding, ice skating, rifle shooting, ski jump, and hockey. Which of those winter sports was not seen in this film? And yes, I'll read the list again. 
Oh my god. All right. Downhill skiing, cross-country skiing, the luge, bobsledding, ice skating, rifle shooting, ski jump, and hockey. Which one was not seen in the film? Can you tell me what the heck luging is? Uh, I'll tell you, it's a good guess. <laughs> <laughs> in that case, the answer is luge. The answer is luge. <laughs> We kind of had him to delve in a point on a platter, and Pat didn't even complain. That's pretty amazing. I think his audio might be out. I just got nothing to say. Yeah, maybe he muted it so he can start cussing. Yeah, exactly. I'm bleeping myself. Well, the game's not over yet. Yes, it I'll is. Give, <laughs> I'll give Pat his second medium-level question. What's the official MI6 name for 007's mission in this movie? Operation Undertow. Oh, he got it. Well, it's two to one. Let's see if Delvin's going to lose ground, gain ground, maintain, whatever. Delvin, Melina's parents were from two different countries. Fill in the blanks. Her father was from blank and her mother was from blank. Uh, okay, I know one of the answers, and I don't know the other one, so I'm just going to stay silent. I don't know. Oh, Pat, you want to try to even this up? Uh, I'm just going to say one's from Greece, one's from America. I don't know. Ah, no! Her mother was Greek, but her father was English. Uh, English! Son of a... I couldn't... I, I'm like, I know the mom's Greek. I could not remember what the dad was. Son of a... That's why he's working boy. for the British government, man. He was working for the British government. Oh, yeah! Why they killed that him. been helpful five seconds ago. <laughs> <laughs> Pat, you got to make up this ground here. So you got to get this next one. What was James Bond's room number at his hotel in Northern Italy? The one BB's in? Yes. 300. Oh, man, we should start Pat out with the hard one. What's the score now? Tied. Two. Notice the lack of complaining for the hit. <laughs> Delvin, what was Eric Kriegler's biathlon number? Ooh. It's another number one. I can feel Pat like he's, so he's salivating right now. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> 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 I don't know. So I'm going to randomly guess. And so, Pat, this is yours to win, dude. Six. Pat, 48. <laughs> oh! oh, Pat pulls it out. <laughs> I won. I finally won one again. Whoa. Oh, my goodness. Well, congratulations to Pat. Be sure to do the right, proper thing and lord this victory over Delvin until you guys meet again in the field next episode. Oh, you know I will. You want it. You keep it. Now for our final segment of the show, entitled Return Fire. During Return Fire, our rookie agents Pat and Delvin get to toss Jason and I a trivia question that they've brought with them in an attempt to stump the double O experts. Jason and I are working as a team, just trying to fend off the new guys, so hopefully one of us can at least get it right. Let's get going with Return Fire. This never happened to the other fellow. Pat, what do you got tonight? My question for you guys is, what does the computer screen have typed out at the bottom of the screen? This is the identigraph screen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, what does it have typed out at the bottom of the screen after the bio on lock? This machine thanks you for your attention. Goodbye. Ah, <laughs> oh, you got it. The way, sure. the way that Jason <laughs> said that is like, I it was so prepared for this question. <laughs> I swear Jason carries my... 
through every one of these. <laughs> you know, I, that's the benefit of watching because I did not write that one down. I watched it one more time after I got back from helping Julia this morning. I was like, I, I haven't watched this in a while. I'm going to watch it again. And I was watching the identograph scene and I looked, and this is the first time I noticed it. I was like, this is going to have a funny thing to yeah, say. Yeah, I know. That's what I thought. Like, and I was like, Pat is going to ask me that question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's kind of a funny thing to have on a screen. And there Jared was sitting there in the jackpot. <laughs> Family <laughs> placed in that jackpot until Jason bailed him out. <laughs> One of these days, I'm going to bail Jason out. One of these days. What you got, Delvin? So, 15 minutes into the movie, why do you guys hate me so much? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to not like the movie. Uh, um, <clears throat> no, the actual question is how old was Teresa Bond when she died? 26. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No getting 19, anything past you guys today. 1943 to 1969. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I actually texted Jason in one of those texts back and forth, and I said, hey, just, you know, Trace a bomb, 26 years old. <laughs> <laughs> we are turning y'all into rain, man. <laughs> I, yeah, see, I, like watch you. It, like, I watch it once so that I can, like, remember, and then I write the script up, and then I have to watch it again just to, like, are there numbers? <laughs> Where are the street names? <laughs> Nicely done, guys. Agent Jared, what do we have in the eyes only mailbag this week? What, no small talk? No chit chat? Thank you, Jason. As a reminder to our audience, if you'd like to be a part of our show, you can send us your questions, comments, or trivia challenges to ohmspod at outlook.com or over on our Twitter page. It's also at ohmspod. And if you'd like, you can use the email. And as a reminder, ohmspod at outlook.com and send us an audio recording of your question or comment. We might even play it on the show. Also, if you're an iTunes listener, we'd greatly appreciate it if you left a review for the show. That'll help raise the show's profile and attract more of the 007 family to this program. As a reward for leaving a review, We'll read your entire review on an upcoming episode of MI6 Rookie Agents. And now we're going to get into our semi-regular feedback segment. And we'll start with Q's research and development team, better known as RAD, for their RAD thoughts on Bond. So here we have our fellow podcasters and friends of the show, Ruth and Darren. They have the RAD Adventures Network. And again, normally RAD stands for Ruth and Darren. But here it's research and development. So let's find out what they got for us. Hi, I'm Ruth. And I'm Darren of the Rad Adventures Network. We're with Research and Development Q Branch, and we're here to share our thoughts about For Your Eyes Only from 1981. While the sci-fi-focused Moonraker was a hit in 1979, the producers felt the movie was a bit too fanciful and wanted to return to James Bond's roots for the next film. They wanted a thriller that was grittier and more realistic, but that still retained some of the humor without being over the top. They used two short stories from the book, For Your Eyes Only, for their source material in an espionage story that didn't rely on the typical hook of the entire world being at risk to create suspense. The producers chose a new director to achieve this by promoting John Glenn, who had served as an editor on several previous 007 films. John Glenn illustrates his different style early in the film by having Bond's gadget-filled Lotus sports car destroyed followed by a rollicking car chase zigzagging through the countryside, using a low-cost, low-power car primarily marketed to rural farmers in France in the mid-20th century. A much different car than we would typically see in a chase scene. We think this film succeeds on almost all levels, and it works very well as a successor to The Spy Who Loved Me, as it focuses on suspense and strong characters to drive the plot. 
And I want to mention that this was the very first James Bond film I ever saw, and I got to see it with Darren. We started dating back in 1981, and this is a great film and was a terrific introduction to the character and series for me, and it remains one of my favorite stories still today. It's not surprising that we love this movie because it features beautiful filming locations in Greece and Spain and the Bahamas, and it features some fabulous underwater sequences as well as some great winter scenes. And I think it's very interesting to know that the underwater scenes of James Bond and Melina were not filmed underwater. Actress Carol Bouquet had a medical condition that prevented her from diving, so all of their underwater scenes were filmed on a dry set using a slow-motion camera, fans to blow their hair, and soap bubbles to simulate air bubbles. It's all done terrifically. In addition to a strong script and wonderful filming locations, another highlight of this film is the excellent cast. Carol Bouquet is great as Melina, who is a competent and strong-willed woman out to revenge the death of her parents. Topple is equally great as the roguish Milos Colombo, and Julian Glover is well cast as Christados, a villain disguised as an ally who lives a second life as the dangerous and elusive podcaster Pat Sampson. We also see Cassandra Harris as Countess Liesel. At the time of the filming, she was married to a young up-and-coming actor named Pierce Brosnan, and when Albert Broccoli met him, he knew he would play James Bond in the future. Sadly, Cassandra Harris passed away from cancer before Pierce Brosnan was finally able to play 007. And on another sad note, this is the first Bond film made after the death of Bernard Lee, who passed away just before filming began. Producers chose not to replace him hastily on such short notice, so Elm is on leave during this film. And now it's time for 007 Hits and Misses, when we share our thoughts on two low points and seven high points in the film. For me, the biggest low point is the character of B.B. Doll, kind of like Baby Doll. I don't blame Lynn Holly Johnson. She was a champion figure skater in real life who transitioned into acting with a Golden Globe-nominated role in Ice Castles in 1978, and she gives a fun and playful performance in the movie. But the problem is the way her character continually throws herself at 007. I know it's supposed to be that while B.B. appears innocent to others, Bond sees what she's really like, and that does not work well to a degree. However, I'm very glad that Bond never gives in to her advances, though it still really emphasizes the age difference in the characters, which creates some uncomfortable moments in my opinion. And for me, the low point is the scene at the hockey rink when Bond is attacked. The action is quite good, but the use of the scoreboard in the scene always pulls me out of the movie and just seems unnecessary and out of place. However, this movie is filled with high points, so let's move on to our top seven hits. Number 7. The film opens with James Bond visiting the grave of his wife Tracy. This creates a touching connection to On Her Majesty's Secret Service, and then provides a resolution as 007 dispatches Blowfield once and for all before the opening credits. Number 6. The scene when Bond kicks the car sitting precariously on the ledge, sending Locke falling to his death. Roger Moore didn't like that scene, thinking it didn't suit his Bond but I feel it calls back to the rooftop fight in The Spy Who Loved Me when Sandor ends up on the ledge hanging precariously by holding onto Bond's tie, but then 007 jerks the tie away, sending Sandor plummeting to his death. Number 5. I love the snow and ice sculptures scattered throughout the town of Cretina. My favorite was the snow castle. I love the atmosphere of the town and would certainly enjoy a sleigh ride through the streets in winter. Number 4. The Battle of the Mini-Subs near the wreckage of the St. George's. It's an exciting and suspenseful sequence, and we love seeing the miniature of the Neptune submarine at the Bond in Motion exhibit in London. Number three, the fabulous scenes filmed at the Greek monastery of Metora. We were fortunate to visit Greece a few years ago and made sure that it included a visit to the very area so we could see those unique rock formations and the monasteries high above the ground. 
and I was able to take a photo of Darren with that fairy monastery in the background. Number two, the sequence when Bond and Melina are bound and dragged through the ocean by Cristado's yacht. I like that Bond keeps his cool and finds a way to break free, and I like that Melina remains confident and defiant in the face of danger. And number one is the theme song by Sheena Easton, who became the first singer to be shown in the opening credits of a James Bond film. We're big fans of Sheena Easton and love her version of the theme, and had the good fortune to see her perform here in Raleigh a few years ago. The song was extremely popular and was nominated for both an Academy Award and a Golden Globe, but it lost both to the theme to Arthur. I also love the way so many different variations of the theme are used in scenes throughout the movie, creating a seamless soundtrack. Interestingly, the producers initially approached Blondie for the theme, but the members of that group wanted to write their own song instead of singing the song that had been written for the film. The song Blondie envisioned for the movie is featured on an album they released in 1982. Thank you once again to our friends Jared, Jason, Delvin, and Pat for letting us share our thoughts. Remember, we're RAD, R-A-D, which is short for Ruth and Darren, and Research and Development. Ruth and Darren. Oh, your secret's out, Pat. I hope Uh, they know know. who you are. They know me now, yeah. (laughs) My double, double, triple life is is out now. That was such a nice touch. That that made me laugh. Yeah, that warmed my heart, brought a big smile to my face when I heard that. (laughs) I had no idea, so it was. It was. Thank you, Ruth and Darren. I really appreciate it. You guys playing along with the fun we have here. So, but once again, Ruth and Darren, one year difference between Lynn Holly Johnson, and Carol Bouquet. <laughs> the thing that I think really brought it all together for me is remember when we got together in Charlotte for Heroes Con and we met Ruth and Darren. Mm-hmm. And the whole time, Pat was like, "Try these pistachios. Try these pistachios." <laughs> <laughs> now I get. It. I smuggled them. I mean, I bought them in Greece. <laughs> he was all whispery like, these are the best pistachios you can ever find. Yeah. I got some more. Just let me know and I hook you guys up. Like, try them. They're killer. <laughs> okay. Kind of creepy right. about pistachios, but all right. <laughs> so let's check in on Don Zuderman from the Netherlands. Hi, rookie agents. You've reached for your eyes only. This is Don Zuiderman calling from the Netherlands, and I would like to talk about something that, for the very first time, isn't in a Bond film. And that's the M scene. On his way to M's office, 007 runs into Moneypenny, who tells him M is on leave. Well, you'd better go in. M's on leave, and the minister's arrived here with the chief of staff and wants to see you immediately. Instead, Bond is briefed by the chief of staff, also known as Bill Tanner. Ah, there you are, 007. Personally, I find M is sorely missed in this film. I love all the M scenes, and I think Bernard Lee was a wonderful M. He achieved so much in only a few minutes per film. The truth is, of course, that Bernard Lee sadly passed away during the shoot of Your Eyes Only. There are stories that he did try to record his scenes, but he was simply too ill. It was decided, out of respect for Bernard, to cut M out of the film completely, and the role was to be recast for the next film, Octopussy, when Robert Brown takes over as M. We first meet Bernard Lee's M in Dr. No, where we see the head of the Secret Service in his office, telling Bond he will use the Walther PPK instead of his beloved Beretta. If you carry a double O number, it means you're licensed to kill, not get killed. And another thing... Since I've been head of MI7, there's been a 40% drop in double O operative casualties, and I wanted to stay that way. You'll carry the water, unless, of course, you prefer to go back to standard intelligence duties. 
In From Russia With Love, Em is slightly embarrassed when Bond is about to divulge a story on their time together in Tokyo. Dushka, tell me the truth. Am I as exciting as all those Western girls? Oh, once when I was with Em in Tokyo, we had an interesting experience. Thank you, Miss Moneypenny. That's all, that's all. In Goldfinger, M makes it abundantly clear who's in charge. He deserves Bond's absolute respect. This isn't a personal vendetta, 007. It's an assignment like any other. But if you can't treat it as such coldly and objectively, the 008 can replace you. During Operation Thunderball, M shows his complete trust in Bond and goes along with 007's wish to be sent to Nassau. Who is this girl? The Duval's sister, sir. Uh, do you know where she is now? Nassau. Do you think she's worth going after? I wouldn't have put it quite that way, sir. We've only got four days, 007. Don't spend your time sitting around. No, sir. I won't. the threat of a third world war is imminent, we see M out in the field for the very first time. In You Only Live Twice, he meets Bond on a submarine in the harbour of Hong Kong. Well, now that you're dead, perhaps some of your old friends will pay a little less attention to you for a while, give you more elbow room. You'll need it, too. This is the big one, 007. That's why I'm out here myself. I take it you're fully briefed. Oh, yes, sir. Majesty's Secret Service shows us M's personal side when Bond threatened to resign the service, but Moneypenny cleverly intervenes. What would I do without you, Miss Moneypenny? Thank you. In Diamonds Are Forever, M makes sure that Bond follows orders and sends him to Amsterdam. You're going to Holland. For some time now, we'd had our eyes on a professional smuggler called Peter Franks. He's due to leave for Amsterdam. Do we know who his contacts are? We do function in your absence, Commander. When M goes to Bond's apartment before 6 a.m. to brief him in Live and Let Die, Bond makes his boss a coffee and then shows off his magnetic watch by making M's spoon fly through the air. In future, Commander, allow me to suggest a perfectly adequate watchmaker just down the street. Good God. Uh, you see, by pulling out this button, sir, it turns the watch into a hyper-intensified magnetic field, powerful enough to even deflect the path of a bullet. At long range, or so Q claims. I feel very tempted to test that theory right now. After receiving a golden bullet with 007 engraved on it in The Man with the Golden Gun, M makes it crystal clear to Bond he has plenty of enemies. I mean, sir, who would pay a million dollars to have me killed? 
jealous husbands, outraged chefs, humiliated tailors. The list is endless. In The Spy Who Loved Me, M travels all the way to the Egyptian desert. There he cooperates with his opposite number from Russia, General Gogo, and we find out he is named Miles. Hello, James. We've been expecting you. Good morning, sir. There's been a change of plan. Uh, you probably recognize my opposite number in the KGB, General Gogo. And I believe you're familiar with Major Amazova. marks Bernard Lee's final appearance as M, and his screen time is considerable. In his final scene in Venice, he sends Bond to Rio to go after Drax. So there was a laboratory. You'd better take two weeks' leave of absence, Douglas. Do you have any thoughts about where you might go? I always had a hankering to go to Rio, so... I think I can recall your mentioning it. 007... No slip-ups. Hope we're both in trouble. Bernard Lee died on January 16 in 1981, but his legacy lives on. What are your favorite M moments? Now, Agent Z did warn me that that was going to be extra long, but I think that was well worth it. I'm not crying. You're crying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah greatest crying. hits. <laughs> oh, man. That was great. That was yeah, very well done. I put that together like that. Uh, easy answer for me. I am a sucker for the one and from Russia with love. That's all, Miss Money Pudding. That's all. That's all. <laughs> yeah, that's, I, I got to go with that one, too. That one cracks me up every time I watch that movie. <laughs> so I, I have a different one, but right around the same time, and that's the very first instance that Bond and M have an interaction where he comes in and he's trying to be buddy buddy with M and M's like no no <laughs> you're an agent and I am your boss and it's not going any further than that and that was just even listening to the scenes that Agent Z put in those are all awesome and it just showed me how much I had an appreciation for M and he's right just the short screen time that he had there was always a presence there and there was always a need for him to be there so that was cool and Bernard Lee will absolutely be missed. I can't put it any better than that. I think that's a great point. I also think along those lines, when you get the austere M from Honor Majesty's Secret Service, when Bond goes in the office and he just says, I'm removing you from Operation Bedlam 007. And that's it. And he's like, but sir, blah, blah, blah. Why are you still here? <laughs> why, yeah. <laughs> why are we still talking? What was ambiguous about what I had just said? Pat, we didn't get your thoughts. I go back to the time and I can't remember what movie it was in, but where they're kind of talking about the brandy where they just banter back and forth about the make of the oh, with the right, drink right. whatever that was uh, I like the that and, yeah the yeah. yeah inferior blend with an overdose. yeah how, the, how they kind of go back and forth and you know M's a smart guy obviously he wouldn't have the role where, where he does but I also like not necessarily what he said or, or did I like you know later on as you see he's always got these little cool offices mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah all the you know, sets yeah I, I like the little different sets that he's in and there's always a little space for him somewhere him and Money Penny. so that would be mine and I really am listening to what Agent Z put together. Very well done, Agent Z. Heck uh, really yeah. That was, yeah. That was amazing. Good job. 
Bob, Agent Z, thanks for that. Your high production values, and that was well worth the extra time, my friend. Agent I likes to give us the perspective from the books, which is always cool because we don't talk a lot about those here on the show. So let me find Agent I's... Here it is. This is Agent Joe Eiliff with your Fleming connection for the movie For Your Eyes Only. The movie is largely based on two short stories that appear in a collection titled For Your Eyes Only. In the story For Your Eyes Only, Bond is on a personal mission from M to seek vengeance on a Cuban hitman who murdered his friends, the Havelocks. On the way, Bond runs into their daughter, also seeking revenge for her parents' death. She kills the man responsible for her parents' death with a bow and arrow, timing the shot to hit him while he is diving into a lake. In another short story called Risico, Bond is operating in the Mediterranean, meeting with smugglers Christatos and Columbo. He has to determine which one of them to trust and which one to kill. The scene where Columbo records Bond's conversation with Christatos at the restaurant is very similar to how Fleming wrote it. Also, Bond and Columbo's attack on Christatos's warehouse where 007 uses the rolls and newsprint to take out a machine gunner, is very similar to the story, and the scene where Bond stares down a villain driving away in a car. One more connection is the scene where Christados ties Bond and Melina together and drags them behind his yacht over sharp coral reefs. This is taken from the novel Live and Let Die, where it is Mr. Big doing this to Bond and Solitaire. This film is my favorite performance of Roger Moore as 007, and features a lot of Fleming's original hero on the screen. Follow me on Twitter, at SeekOutWisdom, for more Bond knowledge. Agent Iliff, signing out. Agent I with that book knowledge. Yep, yep. Agent I, <laughs> watching you, watching you. <laughs> well, it's interesting to kind of blend between what Agent I was talking about from the novels and what mm-hmm. Agent Z was talking about M. One of the things in the book that's emphasized is that whenever M wants to use Bond for a personal reason, he always calls him James. And when Ooh. it's for a mission, it's always 007. Oh, and I have actually read this one and I really liked it because I liked that. It was like that. It was like, James, this ain't for Queen or Country. I just need this dude killed. And James was like, can do. My very first thought was, well, that's kind of wrong of him because he's kind of using Bond. But at the same time, what I switched to was when you have that leadership and follower Bond, when that's really there, a lot of times you can kind of do stuff that's a little bit outside of the lines. And if you have a good enough follower, follower. The follower's like, you got me. I know you're not going to just leave me out there. Mm -hmm. That's kind of a cool thing that M and Bond develop that relationship like that. Like, get this right, dude, because you don't, we're both screwed. Okay, Mm -hmm. I got it. And not, okay, yeah, I'm leaving you out here on the lurch (laughs) and you're you're screwed. (laughs) It's like, no, we're screwed if this goes sideways. So, that's cool. The more and more we hear from Agent I, I think I want to start checking out the books. You know, at least what I've already watched and, you know, kind of doing that comparison and then starting to read the books and all that because this interests me where it's two different stories kind of combined together. So definitely interested. Peaking my interest. So if anybody's got books, send them my way. Oh, I think Jared and I probably have. (laughs) I'll I'll start building that collection up. And when Christatos retires, I'll be living on the pistachios and sitting on my junk. (laughs) (laughs) coconuts. Oh, goodness. Thanks for the send-ins. Thank you, Ruth and Darren, Agency, Agent I. You guys are the best. Good stuff. Really appreciate that. We have one email email this week, guys, before we bring this show to a close, and I will read the email that we were sent. It says, hey guys, 
Just wanted to send out a quick note and say I'm absolutely in love with your podcast. I first heard Jared on Brad's Cast Dice podcast talk about Never Say Never Again, which was brilliant. And then, of course, found out that there were several other Bond podcasts that you guys do. As of today, I've almost gone through the entire back catalog. And he's blogged a bit about it and James Bond. And you can check out his blog, which is Saturday Mornings 13.blogspot.com. Those are the actual numbers, Saturday Mornings 13.blogspot.com. And he says, as I write in the blog, my hope is that Jared and Jason will possibly have an episode in the future dedicated to the Victory Games James Bond role-playing game. Any thoughts or chances of that happening? Well, I do have the Victory Games James Bond role-playing game, so... As do I, and I have a couple of the extra sets and whatnot. And he goes into some more questions that we could discuss on the show about, you know, which modules we like best, which modules do we wish they had made, and stuff like that. And this all comes from listener, new listener, Ivor Evans. So I want to say welcome aboard, Agent E, and we look forward to hearing more from you. But yeah, I think, I know Pat's a big RPG guy, and I know Delvin's kind of down for trying it, so... I'm down for trying it. I think it'd be Maybe fun for us to we do all that get together you know yeah. we should play a bond campaign and then we can sort of address this in an episode yeah because i've always wanted to do a D game with everybody but i'd be interested in doing a bond campaign i, I didn't bought, know you wanted to do D. i brought up the site <laughs> but yeah it's money is where his mouth is it didn't take me long to scroll down to find jared albrecht known as the yard sale artist put in there he is on the level so yeah welcome to the crew ivor evans who will now be known as agent e we will definitely kick that around i've responded to him personally but just so everybody out there knows you know right now our focus is going to be getting these rookie agents to be full-blown agents getting them through the series once we do that we'll probably do an episode ranking our official rankings and we'll probably do a couple for like never say never again and those sort of bond spinoffs but uh, we are going to put the role-playing games on the radar it may take us a while to get there but it is a good suggestion and it will not be ignored so just hang in there with us That will bring us to a close on this episode of MI6 Rookie Agents. Thanks for listening. If you'd enjoyed this crew and want to hear more from them, but in the realm of comic books, check out the Longbox Crusade. Pat, where can that be found? Well, Jason, I am glad you asked. You can find the Longbox Crusade on www.longboxcrusade.com. We're also on Twitter at Longbox Crusade or on the Facebook page at Longbox Crusade. And I want to point something out to everybody that you can go and listen to Longbox Crusade episode 10. 10, where we cover James Bond for your eyes only, the number two issue from Marvel Comics back then. This is Jason's first appearance on the Longbox Crusade, as well as the naming of my alter ego, Christatos. <laughs> That's the, the origin right there. Yes, the origin story there of my Christatos. So if you want to go back and listen to that, it's been a while since we did that. It was uh, April of 2017, so lots of fun at that one. So go ahead and check that out. Oh, that was good times. I'll leave a link in the show notes to that Longbox Crusade episode. Thanks to the fellows for taking on yet another dangerous mission, and thanks to the listeners who tuned in. If you'd like to leave a question or comment on this or any of our other episodes, feel free to contact the show on Twitter at OHMSPod or email us at OHMSPod at Outlook.com. Or you can contact any of us directly on Facebook or Twitter or maybe that Instagram. My contact info is at Yard Sale Artist. That's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all of it's at Yard Sale Artist. Jason. My handle is at Weasel Skull on Twitter and Jason Ulbrich on Facebook or Instagram. Instagram. Pat. You can find me on the Twitter at Christatos01. I think you guys know how to spell that out now if you're listening to this. And where can they find you, Delvin? You can find me at DEE underscore RA1. 
on Twitter. And we hope to hear from you soon. The next episode of MI6 Rookie Agents will feature Octopussy, the first movie I saw on the big screen in the James Bond franchise. And remember two things. Number one, for discount pistachio needs, contact Christados. <laughs> And the second thing to remember is on Her Majesty's Secret Podcast, we'll return. only. It's been a long time coming. Uh-huh. It's only for you. I didn't watch it. <laughs> Pat. <laughs> what? I was watching Octopussy. That joke's only funny when I do it. <laughs> I watched it Octopussy, too. It is not. I have to go back in the Longbox Crusade archives here. It's pronounced archives. Archives? Sour cream and Archives. Archive, if it's French. Archive. Archive was that. That was that guy's name. Tattoo's name. <laughs> it's close enough. It's not. Herb. Village Ace. Yeah, see. Archive. <laughs> Are we able to use this company as well, too? Maybe pass a little stuff here and there through it. Well, um, it's possible. Uh, you can you can buy into it. Um, so uh, I have a deal where uh, you can have. Uh, two stocks for $10, but especially <laughs> have four stocks for $35. Oh, man, that, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Count yeah. me down for uh, two. <laughs> okay, okay. You sure you don't want to do four? No, well, no, I mean, well, I mean, yeah, two, four. So count me down for eight. Okay, nice. <laughs> How much nice. for eight? <laughs> so that should get me six stocks. $160. <laughs> I know who I'm rooting for today. In the, in the Patreon sponsor list, or oh, I okay, so you're could lose a little help. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. <laughs> the guy who just didn't drop a deuce on my favorite Bond movie. <laughs> I've seen sunny days that I thought would never end. I've seen lonely times when I could not find a friend. But I always thought that I'd see you again. But I'd see you. Something. I'm back. I'm back. Welcome back, fellas. Even Jason, who hates me.
Oh, I don't hate you. He despises you. <laughs> I don't Look at me. I, I want an agent under fire. I'm all special. I am. And you know it. Thank you for admitting that, finally. You are, you are, not, you are, you are not special. I just gave it to you. It was a gift. <laughs> I'll give you a gift. <laughs> Here we go. How could you possibly lose the one that, you know, was starring your namesake? Which I didn't even know. When I first heard Christados, I'm like, what? Oh. I remember listening to one of the earlier ones and you were having trouble pronouncing something because that's what you do. And Jared said, if you ever had any problems pronouncing a name, just say Christados. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we loved the way he said, because when we were doing the episode, he couldn't quite say it. And the only way he could get through it and say it properly was if he said it kind of like you'd say Doritos. Christatos. He said Christatos. <laughs> kind of with a little yeah. flair. Yes. And that's why we started calling him Christatos. Nice. There it is. Or that's that's how I remember Mike. Escotitos. Escotitos. Anyway, here we go. Well, hold on. One, one more of that should at least uh, go in, into the outtakes. Uh, I was okay. I was going to mention uh, in you know the Bond thing that I did a um, a Felix Leiter update. And, oh, okay. Uh, and so like the the outtake would have been that uh, I was we were going to or we released a uh, Felix Leiter Christmas special, but like you know it, it was only released on like you know some obscure channel like Logo. You know, and it and it was an embarrassment. It was an absolute disaster. Um, you know, it was featuring songs like "I Saw Mommy Kissing Silver Hands," and <laughs> and, and it it was just so bad that I did everything I could to wipe it off of social media. Uh, and you can see clips of it still, you know, in, in rare obscure places. But yeah, you know, I am doing everything I can to distance myself away from uh, this Christmas special. So. What was it called? <laughs> oh, it was a Felix Lighter Christmas special. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had uh, I had my own Christmas Silver special ball. as well too. It's uh, uh I played Christatos Kringle. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Agent Oz, watching you. These are every you can go ahead and whenever, dude. Oh, <laughs> I realized coming in, into this that um, for Agents Under Fire, I, I had no chance. I mean, come on. The movie had freaking Christados in it. I, I'm st- <laughs> I was sunk before we started. Yeah. Is there going to be a, a Bond movie coming up with a villain called Dark Web? <laughs> uh, Maybe. About 25. Right. Yeah, there you go. They can they can be like the one of the early villains or something, you know. So you're telling me there's a chance. And that's a wrap for this episode of Longbox Crusade Elseworlds. I hope you've enjoyed it, and we'll see you around the alternate dimensions in the future. The music 
themes for this show are done by musical genius Joe November. Please check out his SoundCloud at Josephlin99. That's J-O-S-E-F-L-I-N-99. You will not regret it. <laughs>